0: We are in the Gospel of Luke this morning, continually, uh, continuing on. In chapter 6, actually, Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 11 this morning. And the title is The Controversy. The Controversy. So uh, in these verses we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see what true rest is. And we'll see how to deal with controversy. And the issue was about the Sabbath. And the religious leaders were setting up a trap in order to catch Jesus doing something wrong. So they could accuse him and knock down his popularity, basically. Because at this point, after a year, crowds were following Jesus as he spoke truth and performed miracles. And so jealousy had set in for the religious leaders, for they were supposed to be the bigwigs, spiritually speaking, and now all the attention wasn't on them anymore. So in the context of the Sabbath, there is controversy that we'll look at between Jesus and the Pharisees. But before we start, I want to make one thing clear. Like, rest is essential, right? We know that. Rest is essential. Rest is the key to working out God's will. Rest prevents burnout. It sparks a passion to have a sense of urgency and work unto God. Rest leads to more progress, not less. Right as as we'll see, rest has little to do with the outward, but it has a lot to do with the heart. And, you know, growing up, I would only see my dad rest at the very end of the night. Like he was a hard worker. He was a taskmaster. I mean, he was at work, you know, five days a week at the bank. But when he was home, even, he didn't often just put his feet up and relax. He came home and he did something. He was always busy. He was always doing something. I remember being younger, and, and him and I would watch a movie together. And I would always be like, Dad, I'm in there ready, ready for, to start the movie, right? It was VHS back then, ready to push play or whatever. And, and I would say, Dad, come sit down so we can start the movie. And every time, he'd be doing stuff in the kitchen, straightening stuff up, you know, and he was like, go ahead and start it. I'll, I'll be right there. And you know, even at the end of the night, he'd fall asleep in his recliner with his shoes on, you know. He was just a worker. He would just go and go and go. Later in life, he got, he got saved and finally got real rest from the Lord. And knowing Jesus, he, he was walking with God. And so he finally got that rest, and now he he's able to rest. He still does a bunch of stuff, and I get that from him. So if you see me tidying up at home, I'm my wife's always like, Come and sit down. You know, <laughs> we're about to watch a movie, and I just I do stuff, I have that tendency. But but the Pharisees, they would be talking about Sabbath, the Sabbath and the outward. But Jesus would be talking about the scriptures and the heart. And so let's pray and we'll get into the verses this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that there's always a lesson that you want to teach us through every situation, Lord, especially as we gather and assemble together. We just pray that you would teach us personally and uh, just intimately what you want us to know, Lord. Open our eyes, open our hearts to, um, to speak to us, God. You're always speaking. We just pray that our ears will be attentive to what you have to say to us, individually this morning and also as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So so again, I remember, at this point, Jesus was preaching. He was teaching for about a year. And because of his ministerings, again, big crowds were following him, the multitudes, the Bible calls it. But now we're going to get into chapter 6. We're actually going to see Jesus. He really starts to organize and mobilize his followers. A good spiritual leader will not be okay with chaos and disorder. Right? Like, God is a planner, and we're all called to follow his individual plan for us. So Jesus starts to round up those who God has truly called. He would begin to choose those who were following because they were just there, already listening to him, because they responded to the truth. There were many that would fall away because they just wanted to see the theatrics from Jesus. You know, they, they wanted to see healings and miracles because it was astounding. Like They loved to watch, oh, what is he going to do next, you know? But in this chapter, we'll see that Jesus basically establishes three new spiritual entities to replace that which was worn out, which we looked at last week, in the Jewish religious system. We'll see the next few weeks, we'll see a new Sabbath, we'll see a new nation, and we'll see a new spiritual kingdom. New Sabbath, new nation, a new spiritual kingdom. So verse 1 and 2, chapter 6 of Gospel of Luke says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he, Jesus, went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So we see the accusation. Like, the disciples were pointedly accused of of, of fabricating and harvesting a new Sabbath, So we have to understand that the sanctity of the seventh day, it was a major part of the Jewish faith. After all, remember, God clearly gave Israel the Sabbath law on Mount Sinai, and he made it clear a sign between him and the nation. And we know the word Sabbath actually means rest, and it's linked to God's creation of work uh, after the sixth day. The seventh day is rest, right? So obeying the Sabbath was so important to the Jews For some rabbis said that, they they actually taught, some rabbis taught that, hey, the Messiah could not even come until the Sabbath was kept perfectly, right? So the Sabbath was a stark reminder, reminder of the completion of creation. In contrast, the Lord's day of our Lord's finished work is in the new creation. See, here's the thing. There's a contrast. Like the Sabbath relates to the law and speaks of rest after work. The Lord's Day speaks of grace and speaks of rest before work. So the Lord's Day commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and the coming of the Holy Spirit to the early church in Acts chapter 2. So the early church met on the first day of the week, but some Jews still kept the Sabbath on this day, which led to division, division, right, arguing over the days. And so the Apostle Paul actually addressed the issue in Romans chapter 14 and 15, and he made it crystal clear that the Sabbath had nothing to do with salvation. He made it clear that we are not saved by faith and keeping the Sabbath. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. And that's the thing. Anytime someone preaches that you can be saved by believing in Jesus and this, this, and this. Do you, you belong to our church? Well, then you're not saved. You need, to get, you need to actually be a member before you're saved. You know, All kinds of crazy stuff. But that's distorting the gospel. It's distorting the gospel, and it's act, act, or adding a works to salvation. The fact here is this, that the Pharisees and the scribes turned the Sabbath into a burden. The Pharisees and the scribes turned the Sabbath into a burden, but God meant the Sabbath to be a blessing. Jesus challenged both their authority and their laws. He was walking a fine line here. This is radical for back then. This is like, wow, you're going against them See, there was nothing wrong with what the disciples did, according to Deuteronomy 23. Plucking heads of grain and eating them was lawful for those who were hungry. You know, This was God's creational provision. But the problem for the religious leaders wasn't the eating of the grain. It was the day in which they ate it. The rabbis made lengthy lists, do's and don'ts, relevant to the Sabbath, and if you violated one of their statutes, then you better watch out. See, according to the religious leaders, the disciples were guilty of reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food just by plucking the heads of grain. So they were violating the Sabbath by eating the grain, is what the Pharisees said. The Pharisees, always willing to point out what everyone was doing wrong, asked this pointed question in verse 2. And so here Jesus responds in verses 3 to 5. But Jesus answered them, saying, Have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God and took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those who were with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And so here's Jesus' response. Jesus didn't argue with these guys, right? He, what he did was he brought up the scriptures that, that contradicted their way of thinking. Jesus took them right to the Word of God. And I love that. See, when something is wrong, doctrinally or biblically, the best practice to do is to show what is off by using the Word of God rather than attempting to come up with why you disagree based on your opinion and how you feel that day. Right? Take them to the Scriptures. Take them to the source right, of truth. See, the religious leaders, they studied the Old Testament. like They knew it. They knew it so well. But Jesus, by his question, basically implied that they were blinded to the essential point of God's word. And it happens all the time. Like, people may know the word of God from cover to cover. Some people know it so well, they can quote you any verse and they can, they can just recite it. Just ask them to, and they will. It's like, but the thing is, they can know the whole word, but they can miss the whole meaning. They can know what it says but they, doesn't, they don't know what it means. They observe the scripture, they've memorized it, but they don't know the why. They don't know the interpretation. So when Jesus made this statement, he was claiming to be God because it was the Lord who established the Sabbath. So if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's free to do whatever he wants on the Sabbath. And here's an important thing to understand about this. God is more concerned with meeting human needs than he is about, protecting religious rituals. He, see, he saw people hurting. He didn't dismiss them because of some ritual he had to do. See, in the context of the scripture, Jesus brought up about David and his men, and the point was this. It's better that David and his men actually eat and gain strength to serve God rather than to die because of a temporary law. Let, it, let them eat. <laughs> Matthew twelve seven, Jesus actually says, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So God desires compassion over sacrifice. Instead of bragging about what you gave up, have eyes to see those who need help. Have compassion over giving correction. See, the, the, the biblical... Biblical correction, it's a good thing, right? If, something, if somebody's off, you want to take them to the Word and say, well, actually, this is a little bit off. Look, right—that that is a good thing. Scriptures are always correct, but the Pharisees had a distorted view because they made up so many other laws that became sort of doctrine and Scripture in their minds in their eyes. Well, if you don't do any of these things, then you're, you're doomed, right? Their hearts were not right. They cared more about the outward than having hearts of compassion. See, the law was causing them to heap burdens on people rather than leading them out of bondage of the world. And the Pharisees, they weren't leading the captives to freedom. they were leading their followers towards anxiety and paranoia. Did you keep all of that? You know? It's like the Jewish scholars created 39 separate categories of what work means, and within those 39 categories, there are many subcategories, so many. So to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, there are literally thousands of sub-rules to follow, including how many steps you can take, how many letters you can write on the Sabbath. I mean, so many. So the 39 rules made by the Pharisees are... no uh, I'm, Don't try to take notes. I'm going to say these fast. There's 39 of them. But, okay, so no, carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, w- cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, and marking. Those are the 39. And under those are many, many more, you guys. Now, the Pharisees added, again, they added many laws uh, concerning the Sabbath on Saturday, like in, in regards to restrictions. Like on that day, you couldn't carry more than a weight of a fig. If you carried any more weight than how much a fig weighs, then you were sinning because you're breaking the law. A person could not throw, throw, up, throw up any object because if you throw up an object and catch it, it's considered working. Couldn't do that. You could not throw hot water on your body or, or, or it could possibly spread vapor or clean, uh, uh, clean the floor if it dropped on the floor, and that's work. That's sinning. Don't do that. You can't do that. Women couldn't put on a dress or wear jewelry because that was considered a heavy burden. You're wearing a burden. Take those earrings off, you're a sinner. Right? It's kind of like that's their mindset. A person couldn't wear false teeth on the Sabbath because if they fell out, the person would have to put them back in. That's considered work, and it's therefore a sin. And there's a whole bunch, you guys. It's interesting to study them. You couldn't cut your hair or nails on the Sabbath. That was work, so you had to wait. On the Sabbath, you couldn't climb a tree, you couldn't swim, you couldn't clap your hands or dance. Uh, you couldn't go further than 3,000 feet away from your house. On and on and on. I mean, there's so many. There's so many. A, wo- uh, a woman couldn't take a bath because she sat, laid in the bath. The water went over and hit the floor. It would be considered washing the floor. Sin, don't do it. So all of these were written by the Pharisees. They were considered sins if done on the Sabbath. But the main point is, if there's someone suffering or if there's someone in need, they aren't just to be ignored because nothing's supposed to be done on that day. Like our family, we have a family day every Monday, right? Most of you guys know that, which means we do our best to spend the whole day together with quality time. Which uh, is a blessing, it's amazing because we get to connect, we get to talk, we get to pray, we get to have fun, they like to go to the library, all kinds of stuff. But if someone were to call us on Monday because they have a major emergency, we're not going to just ignore them and say, sorry we can't help you today, it's family day, bye. Like if they're hurting or struggling in the hospital, we're not going to be like, I'll be there tomorrow, right? We're going we're gonna to drop what we're doing and go, right? right? So like as a body of believers, we are here for one another. And in a sense, we are like I always we're like doctors on call for when there's like a major problem, we rally around one another and we come alongside and help. That's what we get to do. The religious leaders, they were far from this. They they called out Jesus. They wanted to accuse the disciples, and Jesus put them in their place by using the word of God. <laughs> right? He said, actually David, and he he gave the account. He confronts them with the truth in order to demonstrate how the Sabbath fits into the new covenant. So the Sabbath under the old covenant, again, was work and then rest. But under the new covenant, it's rest and then work. We have rest in Christ. We have peace from the Lord. And because of our saving faith, we should want to work for the Lord. right? Like We, we have rest within, so we can serve the Lord from a heart of joy rather than a basis of burden right cuz it's not fun if you if i don't know if you go to if you have to do a job and it's just you're not looking forward to it it's a burden you just want to get it done so you can stop thinking about it and stop you just want to get it over with right but when it comes to serving the lord it's like you get that rest within that contentment like paul says learning how to be content and you're going to have joy because you have rest to start with so whatever jobs come your way whatever difficulties you have to go through you already have rest internally. So when external stuff happens and things are difficult, you still even have that rest through the storm. Jesus is the only one that can give that rest. It's a beautiful thing. And so here's what the thing is. Jesus sees a need in verse 6 to 8. He sees a need. It says, now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and he taught. And a man was there whose hand was withered. So the scriptures and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would." Heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, "Arise and stand here." And he arose and he stood. So, see, the Pharisees knew it was the Lord's routine. So, it was the Sabbath; he was going to be in there. We know he's going to be in the synagogue. And at this point, there was like this rising resistance against Jesus and his disciples. There was a rising resistance. Yet Jesus wasn't scared. He, he wasn't about to neglect the gathering of himself to the place of God's presence. He had a valid excuse, actually, to pass on the whole synagogue thing. Well, they can maybe take me away. He had, we sometimes we have valid excuses, right? But he didn't let that stop them. Him, he visited the Sabbath. He never gave excuses. The scribes watched Jesus closely in order to trap him. Would Jesus actually heal on the Sabbath, or would he wait a couple of? It was only a few hours until it was over? Would he wait and then heal it? Hold on, bud, I'm going to heal you. Just give me a few hours. Sabbath's over. Now I will. See, they watched Jesus closely to trap him. But they had no heart for him, and they had no compassion for the man with the withered hand. And Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew the Pharisees' plan. He knew. And Jesus would still deliberately break the Sabbath law. Some, actually, a lot of commentators actually surmise that this man with the withered hand was actually planted by the Pharisees. Okay, let's bring okay, you go just go in and we'll see what happens. Like he was planted, like just to see what he's gonna do. Okay, here he is. Is he gonna heal him? Let's watch. Da-da-da, you know, trying to trap him. That's just speculation, but we, we don't know for sure. But many believe this was organized by the Pharisees to catch Jesus breaking the law. But really, I personally think I don't think Jesus cared whether he it was he was planted there or not. he, he would have had compassion either way, I think. Like Jesus saw a need, a man who was afflicted had an infirmity, and he had compassion on him. And he told this man to arise. And the man did what Jesus said. I love that. He just, he just okay, he, he obeyed. So now we see healing, but we also see confrontation. In verse 9 to 11, it says then Jesus said to, him, to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save a life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus gave a defense based on the Old Testament scriptures. God gave the law to help people, not hurt them. To help them, not hurt them mark two twenty seven Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. see these Jewish men they would rescue a sheep in a minute if the sheep was in trouble on the Sabbath. but when it came to a man who needed healing they didn't want him they didn't want him healed. It was like I was talking to a friend the other day he really wants to move to Tennessee I think uh Everyone's moving to Knoxville or somewhere, I don't know, so, somewhere in Tennessee. I don't know, but, uh, but he was saying, that's so weird, man, because like, uh, I was talking about how people in the South, at least in my experience, I'm generalizing, but in my experience, they care about your kid, your children, you know, they don't see them as a nuisance, they actually care about your kids, and I love that, and I told him when I first came here, and I, I guest taught at, in Fairhope at a church, a Calvary Chapel there, people were like talking to my daughters, I'm like, like guys, you know, like adult men. And I'm like, who are these creepers? Like, I, I'm sorry, I just, I didn't know. I wasn't used to it. Because because in L.A., they talk to you, they didn't even see your kids. Like, they didn't care about your little annoying kids that were running around. That's how they, that's the view, mindset there, you know? And so I was like, yeah, they actually, they're really family-oriented. They actually care about your kids. They talk to them. They, they see you as a whole family rather than just you as a, an adult and those pesky kids. They don't see it like that here. I told him how awesome it was. And he was like, He's like, yeah, it's so weird here, man. He's like, you go to the dog park, and you take your kids and your dog. The people there, they don't care about your kids. They care more about your dog than your kids. <laughs> they were like, oh, what kind of dog is it? They don't even see your kids. You know, they ignore them. So backwards and weird. He's like, I want to get out of here. But anyway, that's a different story. But, <laughs> but, uh, but here's what the Pharisees did. Here's what they did. They, they turned a gift from God that was beautiful and a blessing, the Sabbath, and they made it into a heavy burden that no one could bear. They couldn't even follow their own laws. Now, they acted like they did, but no one could. Acts 15.10 says, Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? See, Jesus gave the command and the ability to fulfill the command. So why was Jesus asking the man to do something he was not, he was not capable of doing? He asked them something that seemed seemingly impossible. He couldn't stretch out his hands. He couldn't physically do that. But the point is that the man heard the word from Jesus and obeyed. And the man was healed and restored. He could do that. He asked them to do something that seemed totally impossible, but the man obeyed and it became possible. Isn't that the story of our lives so much of the time? God asked us to do something right away. We're like, that's impossible. There's no way I can do that. What? This Lord, what? (laughs) I don't even, there's no way. But then when we obey, maybe hopefully quickly, but sometimes after hesitation, because we're doubting, like, no way, Lord, we do. And we're like, wow, Lord, you've equipped me to act. Okay, I did that. You made the impossible possible because you equipped me to do what you called me to do. So the religious leaders, they they were so, this guy got healed and they were like, let's throw a party. We're so happy. They all accepted Jesus and got saved, right? No, that would be nice. They actually were filled with fury. They were filled with rage. They were angry. Their reaction shows that these guys, they had an agenda and weren't in the synagogue on the Sabbath. They weren't there to worship the Lord, right? They were so mad that they actually joined forces with the Herodians, who were the Jews who supported Herod, in order to devise a plot to kill Jesus. Two opposing religious groups joined to get Jesus out of there. Normally they wouldn't even associate, but they're like, let's gather forces to get Jesus killed, or out of here, and he's, he's disturbing what we're doing, right? Was Jesus angry and bothered by the reaction of the li- religious leaders? It doesn't seem like it. He already knew their thoughts. He already knew their hearts that they were far from God. And he was, I don't think he was bothered at all. He actually withdrew to Galilee after this point to minister to the crowds, and then he went to the mountain to pray all night. See, under the New Covenant, Jesus does something amazing. Jesus gives Sabbath rest in our hearts full time. Full time. Like Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Jesus says this, "'Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, when the sinner trusts in the Savior, they're forgiven, they have peace with God, they have rest. And sometimes in the crazy, chaotic world that we live in, we forget that. And we get caught up in the current, caught up in the chaos and pretty soon we're just like stressed out and just like, oh my goodness, it's so hard because we forget, wait a second, I have rest from Christ in my heart. I shouldn't be wound up right now. I sh- my shoulders shouldn't feel this tight and hurt and my back shouldn't be. You know, as, as we go through stress and difficulties and anxiety and as, we, as those things come on, like it, it messes with us physically. But when we tr- remember that, listen, Jesus is in our heart, and therefore we have rest in our heart, we can deal with any situation. We can actually go through a a storm with a smile. We can face a trial and know we have triumph because He is with us. He's giving us rest in our hearts. But I know, I understand like we we easily forget. Like we're humans, right? The, The disciples easily forgot. Jesus told them things, not just once. A lot of time He told them things over and over again because they forgot. And so got to remember rest comes from christ and we all have rest from him so we shouldn't let the external affect the internal like god changes us from the inside out not from the outside in he first works on our hearts the heart is the core of who we are everything our essence like everything like the core of who we are it's it's what we're made up of like our heart and we have rest there but sometimes we forget so what do we do we go back to the lord lord remind me, please fill me with rest right now. I have anxiety about this. I'm worrying about this. Help me to help the worry to wash away, right? Help all that anxiety just to be, annihilate all that. Please get that out of here, Lord. Help me to remember I have rest in you. We go back to the Word. We go back to prayer. We come together. And that's one of the big reasons why we come here on a regular basis, right? Because we're reminded, oh, yeah, God's in control, <laughs> right? Sometimes by Friday or Saturday, we're like, everything sucks. Everything is chaotic, there's just stress nonstop and then we come to church we're like oh yeah no no i'm i have this all wrong i have the wrong mindset here i have rest in christ i have peace from god i'm i need to i need to be reminded constantly daily like lord i have your peace right we have the peace of god and from god and i love what paul says this is kind of a lengthy passage but i'm going to read it all uh, we got I think we have time. Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 11. I'm going to read the whole thing, because Paul, Apostle Paul puts it very clearly. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, he says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in in hope of the glory of God. I mean, isn't that, that's just amazing. It goes on. And not only that, (laughs) there's more, right? He says, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has given to us, who was given to us. Or, when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you, Lord. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God, and you guys know this verse, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us and there's more, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive the reconciliation. If you're ever lacking hope, if you're ever thinking there's no peace or no rest, go read this. <laughs> this is such a good set of scriptures that's so encouraging. See, when, when a saint or a set-apart one yields to Jesus daily, then he or she enjoys peace with God in their hearts and their minds. And I think the following verses really speak of this fact, which is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. And so the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will curb anxiety as you pray to God. And the result will be your heart and mind will be guarded. And really, there is nothing... This is nothing but good news, right? It is amazing. Like, you walk with Jesus, you have heart rest that no incident or circumstance can take away. Now, sometimes those difficulties and trials threaten to take that stuff away and threaten to give you temporary amnesia to where you're like, is anything good in life, right? We get in those, those kind of states and those mindsets sometimes, but we have to remind ourselves, no, 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 wait, wait. I have peace, I have rest through Christ. I don't understand what's going on. He does, and he's with me through it. A trial cannot take away the peace that you're given from above. Jesus makes these facts clear to those who are trying to trap him, the accusers. And and I I hope that's clear to us this morning. Again, remember, the Sabbath relates to the law and speaks of rest after work. The Lord's day speaks of the grace and speaks of rest before work. It's like every day when we wake up, we can be like, Lord, I have your rest and your peace and everything that, that I need. Before you even set your feet on the floor, from getting out of the bed and getting your coffee or whatever, like Lord, just remind yourself, Lord, I have peace and rest because of you. Thank you. Help me to have that and remember I have that throughout the day. You know, especially I was talking to someone early about about driving, how different it is in big cities as compared to Mobile. If you're driving somewhere that day, Lord, give me peace and rest. Before I get in my car, <laughs> because I know I will be tested, and I want to pass the test. I want to remain peaceful. I will wave at the person who cut me off. Thank you for. Me. <laughs> I, I will smile at the person you know uh, uh, tailgating me. But the Lord gives us rest and peace. We have it all the time, no matter what. It starts with inward. It starts with internal, and so the external cannot touch the rest and the peace that we have. We just have to be reminded often. Again. Rest and peace come from Jesus, and we have access to it, and we have it every single day. So that's why we go to him for it. He's the great counselor. We can go to others, don't get me wrong. Fellowship, koinonia, that's important to connect unity and unity. But at the end of the day, we go to bed alone, we, we, we wake up alone, like it's just us and the Lord. And so, Lord, give me that peace. Fill me with that. I need that right now. Because right now, I feel pretty chaotic, and I don't feel like there's any order. I'm in pain. There's difficulty. I have these circumstances that are bringing me down, Lord. And he will. He will. we got to guard, guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus as we pray to him, as we have a heart of thanksgiving. It's always something to be thankful for. The Pharisees didn't see it that way. <laughs> they saw the opposite, right? They were real downers. They were just trying to get Jesus out because of jealousy. But they were all about the external. You know, they honor they honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. Right? It says that in the Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus confronts them with that: "Your hearts are far from you. You look all religious; people think you're religious, but where's your heart?" At the end of the day, when people count, when I when I counsel people and stuff, uh, most of the time it's not like you know what I just think I picked the wrong school to go to, and that's what, it, it's usually heart issues, whether it's jealousy, whether it's covetousness, rather it's some sin that they're dealing with, it's usually heart issues. And so God gives us that rest in our heart, right? We have to feed our heart and our, and our lives with the word of God, with those things that are good and godly, so that we're built up, so that when this world threatens to break us down, we're prepared, we're ready, we're guarded, and we're not going to let those things in.